Uh, today's passage uh, is from Ephesians. So, so far we've talked through Hebrews, uh, we've talked through John, uh, these different writers, and today we're going to look at what Paul says about community. And it's in Ephesians uh, chapter 4, uh, and it's, uh, yeah, I'm excited to, to read it out loud to us uh, right now. It's 4, 1 through 6, and then also the, the end of that chapter is what we'll look at. Uh, it says this, uh, as a prisoner of the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace, because there is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. And then it says this in verse 30, uh, 31. It says, Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling, and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as Christ forgave you. This is God's word. This first uh, verse uh, that, that I read is one of the kind of inspirational bits of scripture. I think it's, it's put up in uh, football locker rooms, you know, it's like, today we're going to live worthy of our calling and go out there and tackle people, right? Uh, it's the kind of stuff that you might put on a picture like that camping photo, like the men's retreat, like live a life worthy of the calling you've received, like how motivating uh, and we all kind of can imagine, like, yeah, live the extraordinary, amazing life. And you might be like, I'm so glad Brad's going to encourage us today to be that kind of extraordinary awesome, you know? Like, maybe today I'll decide to finally sail the ocean and start an orphanage, like, live a life worthy of the calling, or build a powerful company that helps tons of people, or do work that's, that's noticed, that people recognize, because I've got a calling, and it's high, and it's awesome. Uh, maybe I should rub shoulders with influential people because, you know, Paul's telling us, live a life worthy of the calling that we've received. Create amazing art. Uh, create a movement, you know. Get your kids into the right school because that's what you've been called to. Uh, raise those kids. Create a brave new world. Uh, I think it's one of the best dystopian novels ever written, Brave New World, right? It's like, yeah, that's what we all want. And then it's kind of scary after that, just a little bit. Uh, not to be a spoiler, <laughs> Uh, but it's an old book, anyway. Uh, so you might think, yes, uh, let's get ready, you know? Uh, to live a life worthy of that calling, it's going to take everything that we've got, right? You're going to have to work hard for it to live worthy of that calling. Uh, it's not for the faint of heart, you know? It's not for the wimps. It's not for the weaklings. This worthy calling, it's for the strong you know, you have this massive purpose in this world, and as soon as you discover it, you need to be prepared to live worthy of that calling. Uh, live a life worthy of the calling that you've received. But oddly, the next lines aren't, so pray and discern and discover what that calling is. The next lines aren't, go see a career counselor and figure out what that is. Or try to decipher the signs that are pointing you towards that career or that occupation or that role in your life that is going to be your calling. No, Paul tells us exactly what our calling is. It's pretty amazing. I spent so much time of my life trying to figure out what has God called me to, and here it is, like there's a verse. 
It's amazing. And it says this. It says, be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. I think, see, in our post-kind of industrial, uh, this is a huge history lesson, but our post-industrial world, uh, we've made human beings into productivity organisms. Uh, you know, they're like making little tiny robot, robots, like every now and then it pops up and we're scared, or like I'm not gonna be able to beat that robot dog in a fight, it's terrifying. But what, what's ironic about all of the robotics that we've done uh, in the last 50 years is that we've been treating human beings as robots for like 150 years. That the purpose of a human life is to produce and so when we hear calling, we think automatically, my work, the stuff that I'm supposed to do, the roles I'm supposed to play, the art I'm supposed to make, that's my calling, you know, Dr. Seuss kind of stuff of, oh, the places you'll go and the things that you'll accomplish, right? But what's telling is that Jesus calls us through the scriptures, he's talking about this great calling that we have, and it's relational, that we are human beings, uh, not human doings. I know it's super cheesy, but it's real. Like that we were not created to be human productivity organisms. We were created to relate and to be known and to care for other people. And you might not think, oh, that's not very hard. I thought this was gonna be an exceptional calling, like something that only a few of us could do. That's not hard, be patient. Be gentle. You know, I want a real challenge that would revolutionize the world, maybe. Uh, not this kind of stuff. This is so easy. Give me a real challenge. Maybe it could be just financially making it in Los Angeles. That's a high-worthy calling. Give me that. That's what I'm trying to do. But then he's it's saying this is a challenge of a lifetime. And before this passage, Paul has this prayer that, that God would give us power through the Holy Spirit, just to understand God's love and to know God's love. He's talking about that it would require the same power that raised Jesus from the dead for us to even know him. And now he's saying, here's the big calling of that. If you know Jesus, if you walk in his power, if you understand his love, then you've received this incredible calling, and it's to be humble and patient and kind. And it will take all of you you know, I honestly, I think building a company, because I've known people now for a while, uh, over three decades of knowing people, 37 years of knowing people, I think building a company is easier than being patient in community. I think I went to church my second day alive, something like that. And uh, man, like, I've known some church people, right, in my day. You've known some church people. I don't think this is any kind of joke, like be patient, be kind, be humble, be unified. This might take everything that, we might actually need the Holy Spirit to do this. Uh, we know uh, that that's the calling. I think intrinsically we know that's a calling that would require a deep transformation of our souls. You know, I, I think you can go to college, you can get a, go to graduate school, you can renew your mind, and you can think differently. And, and that's a great setup, you know? Maybe you have this occupation where you have to be really in shape and fit, and you can transform your body, which is great to do. 
But this is like, you need to be a different kind of person. Because he doesn't say, act humble, act patient, act kind. I mean, we've mastered that, right? <laughs> like, we know how to act the part long enough. You know, Miral and I always joke that within communities, it takes between six months and a year and a half to really know that those people aren't great. Like, that's how long it takes. No offense to all of you who've been, but it takes about that much time because we're good at pretending to be patient or acting patient, acting kind, acting unified. But after six months, you know, there's like diminishing returns. And then finally you see each other for who you really are. And then it's talking about you must be patient, be kind. That's the extraordinary life, the calling that you've received is a calling into a relational life of community that's to be marked by a person of patience, a person of humility, a person of peace, a person of unity. And so I want to talk about these things kind of quickly and, and briefly. What does it mean to be humble? What does it mean? I, has, I mean, I think we, we know it when we see it kind of thing. It's like that person who's not bragging or boastful. It's like, oh, that, not that person. But to be humble, uh, it means to, to treat yourself and to view yourself rightly, which is an odd definition, I think. I think we might think to be humble is to put yourself down, you know, and be like, you know, I'm not too good at this. Uh, I was recently, even in Australia, they were just talking about how everybody just pretends to be bad at their job all the time because you're supposed to do that, like culturally. No, I'm not really good at this. I'm not really good. And we, you know, as Americans, like, no, you're awesome. And we don't even know if they're awesome at their job, but we're like, you're awesome. You're good. Here's a sticker. They're like, no, I'm really, I'm not good. Humility isn't pretending to not be good or pretending to be bad or pretending to be weak. It's actually to just view yourself rightly in the order and the scope of things. To say, oh, I am a child and a creation of God. That's, that's what it means to be humble. Uh, the, the opposite of humility is to believe I am God in control. I am God who can force things and shape things. The reason he talks about this in re reference to community is because one of the biggest defeaters of any sort of genuine community is a person or more likely a whole group of people that believe that they are God in control who ought to be worshiped. When he says be humble, what he's talking about is someone living this high calling of knowing Christ and then knowing a deep dependence on him for everything. That's humility. And he says be gentle also. This is to treat others for who they are, to understand and to view them as, as also creatures of the living God and to, to not just kind of go through like handle with care. I think that's sometimes like gentle uh, that's what we tell our kids when, uh, you know, my son's about to whack his sister, like, with his cast. He, got, he broke his arm, so now he has a, a, a weapon attached to him. And it's like, no, be gentle, be gentle, like, handle with care. But no, gentleness towards one another, being a person who's gentle, is someone who looks at the world around them and says, there is a daughter of God. Someone created in the image that God took time and effort and designed this human being. 
that they might grow up and live to be the righteousness of God, then he died to redeem them, restore them. That's who this person is. Because see, it's too often we're not, it's not that we're, we pretend to be gentle with people, but in our minds, the way we view each other is, man, what a problem she is. Like, if she could just really get it together. And that maybe is too much confession. Now you all know. But that's the opposite of gentleness. It's like we view people as problems or things to disorders, things that need to get fixed, instead of this is the one that God created and understood and designed before the foundation of the world and then set his sights on redeeming and restoring them. That's gentleness. And then be patient, treating others like they're on that process of being made holy and made new. Uh, the, The impatience in community is, I can't believe this person isn't here right now. Like, they're on this path, they should really speed up and just get this thing done, right? Here's my one Laker reference, okay? And I know this applies to like four people in the room, but it's on my mind and heart. Anyway, it's like we really want Russell Westbrook to be traded, and we're just so impatient with the process, but what we all need to do is know that it's a process, and one day he'll be traded, and we will be good again, all right? But to be patient is that sort of thing, of looking at a person and saying, Wow, like Christ is with them now in this moment as they walk and journey through life just as Christ is with me as I journey through life. How wonderful is God to this person? That's what it means to be patient. Now, how do we become these types of people? How do we, you know, like that's you guys, that sounds wonderful. How do we do it? You know, L.A. prophet Kendrick Lamar told us, sit down, be humble, period, right? That sounds good. All I needed to, yeah, Mirella was like, you can't quote that because people are going to look up the rest of the lyrics. No, those are the only lyrics, all right? Listen to the kid-friendly version. He says, sit down, be humble, period, end of stop, right? Or, you know, I think that we hear this often, if you're not patient, if you're not gentle, if you're not humble, someone will come and just like, hey, do better, be better, that's it, you know, or, or dig really deep within yourself, that's how you'll do it. Um, uh, more basketball. Uh, Michael Jordan, uh, after he lost for the third time in a row to the Detroit Pistons, he was getting pushed around, shoved around, he decided I'm not gonna do that anymore. And he committed himself to working out every day. He didn't take vacation. He made his teammates not take vacation. They got big, they got strong. They went back and they beat them. And then from then on, all Michael Jordan did was like tyrannically desire more and more from his teammates and his coaches and his franchise. Like, you must do better. You must be better so that we can accomplish this thing. What's sad is Steve Kerr, who's the best, uh, and what is one of his teammates said, at the end of his career, he's like, we actually won all of that in spite of him, not because of him. And the, and the lesson is, I think, that, that there is no amount of self-discipline or public shaming that we could do or, or guilt that we could create in this community that would produce in us a life worthy of the calling that we've received. There's nothing that we, we could shame each other and guilt each other for a second, you know? Like, hey, you're not humble, Brad. Like... I can't believe you would do that. 
so embarrassing for you to not be humble. And I, and I would be humble for a second because I wouldn't want to hear that again, right? Or we could shame each other and do all of those other things, but it will not last. This is what I think the scripture says about how we become those kinds of people. Paul says this, he says, there was one body and one spirit, just as you were called into one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. How do we become humble, patient, gentle, united people together? What do you think based on that? Your time to answer. What do you think that is? What's the magic bullet or silver bullet? Magic bean. Jet lagged. I think he's saying right here, he's like, oh, the thing that would create humility, the kind of person who is humble, the thing that would create a patient person, a gentle person, would be one that understands that there was one body who entered this world, that there was one spirit that formed the world, and that you all, while you were desolate and alone, while you were trying to be patient, trying to be better and do better, that there was one who came to bring you to himself, and that's your one hope. That, that to enter Christian community is not to love the kind of ideal of all of us acting gentle, but to enter Christian community means that you enter a space where you say, there is one Jesus that I want to know within this community. There is one Lord. There's one baptism. We were all saved. We were all transformed. We were all brought into faith through the same good Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That's who I am, and that's why I'm here. That's what creates unity. That's what creates these kinds of people. It's pretty good news, right? That you don't have to muster it up. We don't have to Michael Jordan this thing, right? We don't have to Kendrick Lamar it either. We don't have to like social media, passive aggressive, do better, right? That, that, that Christ has already done better. He's already mustered up all of the will to bring you into a unity with him. And that's the beginning of the whole deal. So if you wanna be gentle, that's awesome. If you want to be humble, that's fantastic. There is no way to do it apart from the power of the living God. There's, that's the only hope, and that's pretty fantastic. The last part that I read is kind of the opposite in some ways. Uh, Paul goes negative. It's okay to go negative and tell us what not to do. It's good. He says this. He says, get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling, slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as Christ God forgave you. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, slander. Now, this is the point where I like reading the Bible because it's like, that sounds more like what I've experienced. You know, it's kind of nice to know that the Bible is not written in some vacuum where people were lovely and there were unicorns and flowers and rainbows. He's clearly aware that these people who try to live in community are filled with bitterness and rage, anger even, slandering each other, having malice and like tough stuff for each other, right? That, that might sound more like the Christian community you're aware of. Uh, it's been like, I've participated in that. I've been bitter, I've been angry. 
And I think what's telling is we live in this whole cloud of anger, resentment, bitterness. Like that's, if you had to describe what is this decade all about? And I have hope for it. Maybe it'll shift and change. But it's a, it's a decade of deep resentment, anger, and bitterness. Uh, in June 2020, there was an article uh, on the Washington Post, or in the Washington Post. It was on the internet, so it's on the Washington Post, right? Or is it in the internet? Help me out later, Evan. Uh, and it said that Gallup had just done this poll. It said 22% of Americans polled uh, that day said that they felt intense anger the previous day. So, you know, a fourth of Americans felt intense anger the day before they got this call from Gallup. 17% said that they felt intense anger that same day. Like intensely anger. And so Washington Post, trying to be like helpful for society, interviewed all of these psychologists and counselors to say, how can we help America not be angry anymore? Uh, This one uh, psychology professor from UC Irvine said this uh, under the heading, insulate yourself from anger. He said, the most important lesson concerning anger control is to not get angry in the first place. (laughs) Check. Why didn't we put that on our dream board? Don't get angry in the first place. Secondly, this counselor said, avoid bad news. Just don't have bad news. Don't experience it. Don't receive it. Whenever bad news comes to you, just say, no. Like, uh, Miral and I have this phrase that we say, usually when we're solo parenting, which is something happens and we say, not today, Satan. And I guess that's, that's the spiritual version of that, avoid bad news. Next, uh, a different uh, psychologist from the University of Chicago, preeminent institution, right? Like Obama taught there. It's, it's a good school. Have a friend that got a great degree there. This psychologist said, count to 10. Count to 10. When you get angry, just count to 10, like Thomas Jefferson said. And by the end of 10, the anger should resolve itself, right? Another person said, distract yourself. A psychologist advised people to watch more Netflix. Like, that's what's in the article. Like, find a TV show that you like, that enjoys, that doesn't have much anger. Just do that. Then lastly, they said, just consider your children. Like, think of them, and then you won't be angry. I think what they don't understand is, like, why am I angry? Right? Because it's, it was, it's so telling because they talked about in that that the reason people are so angry and bitter and rageful is because they were afraid of the future and what was about to happen. Like it was the, the peak of civil unrest. It was the peak of all sorts of drama and, and confusion, uh, pandemic. And it was like, well, we're angry because we don't know what's going to happen. We're also angry because we're stuck with our kids, right? Pandemic, Zoom school, Right? No, there's no way out. And they're like, no, just consider your kids, and then you won't be angry anymore. I Like, how do we get out of a cycle of anger, bitterness, uh, rage, brawling, slander, fighting with one another? Do you just bury it deep down? Like, yeah, that was bad news, but I lodged it right here next to my kidney, so I'm never going to hear it again, never going to think about it again. 
Do you just distract yourself? Do you just try to mute trigger words in your mind? Like, oh, now I'm good. How does that actually work for us? Like, how does it work for, like, following these things, we were all having a good laugh. This, I really want to hear from you. It's not like before when I asked a question, didn't let you answer. How, how do those things work for you, getting rid of anger and bitterness in community? How does that pay off? I mean, I think there's validity in some of those in that you want to have a response right in that moment. Mm-hmm. Like, to 10, maybe, like, don't take as much bad news. Like, there's, like, the validity in some of those in that you won't then have a direct response right in that moment. Mm-hmm. But the issue is still there. Mm-hmm. I don't have an answer. I was just going to say that. It is good. There's tons of validity. Like, you miss the, the negativity of those emotions immediately, but then it just stays with you for some other time. Yeah, totally. I think that it's that, like, the misunderstanding of the problem is that culture would say, well, as long as you don't react or like, act out in anger, it's not a problem. Like, you can feel as angry and as bitter and as hateful as you want. As long as no one knows that, we're all good. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just keep it to yourself, and that's good. that's the value. Is keep it to yourself. Yeah. Brad, I feel like I don't do a good job of this, but like to be able to confess to one another, like I I'm sorry, I'm angry towards you. I mm. that confession, we don't know how to do that well, and so we don't do it, and then we just harbor bitterness towards one another. So I would love to be able to do that more. Like I. Like, confess, this is how I'm feeling towards you, and could you pray for me, or can, mm. can, you, can you forgive me for maligning you in my mind, yeah. in my heart? Um, we don't do that very well because we don't know how to do that to one another. Mm. I would love to do more of that, like, be able to be free to state what my own part in it. Yeah, yeah, totally. You can put it. Um, well, I, say, I think like, there's an assumption, at least how it works out for me, is I assume that if I can quell it and I don't ruffle the relational feathers, that things are good. But what it ends up doing is actually like stunting me of my relational being. Mm. Because like my anger and my bitterness is like stopping me from engaging with people, mm-hmm. stopping me from like experiencing my fullness in that where like I think it's like okay because you know we're not fighting I'm not fighting with someone I'm not you know creating a stir but really it's like it's hurting it's hurting others because they don't need to experience a relationship with me totally that's really good it's, it's interesting when you were talking about how you you know literally say not to be because I think that's like a lot of it is to pray against the enemy like in the community mm. Like, I think the only way to really, like, not the only way, a powerful way to vanquish bitterness in community is to pray against it. Yeah. Because I think we, like, diminish the power of the enemy in community because he hates the way we live life. Yeah. And, like, I think we ignore that a lot, right? Or we just blame everybody else for issues when you're like, there is an enemy. Is that work working against these things? Totally. Planting seeds of bitterness in hearts. Enraging souls and like we have a God that we can pray to to say no and every time we confess to each other mm. it makes it smaller and smaller and so he hates that too 
Yeah. yeah. So I feel like one powerful thing we've experienced is like literally incorporating that into a regular rhythm of prayer, like when our MC prays, like we pray like Lord, like by your spirit, like vanquish bitterness, like vanquish, you know, any of those deep-seated emotions or anger or, you know, yeah. it is, because like on our own, like we can't get rid of the feeling, you know what I mean, like it's really, really hard to, totally. and like, but he's powerful enough to actually get rid of the conflict and work with the conflict, mm-hmm. but I think without it, you're totally yeah. Like, like there is no way. Like it's gonna look like every other community that's so destabilized and disoriented and broken. Mm. That's why they're all broken. Yeah. Totally. Because they don't. Yeah. There's no way to deal. There's no. There's no greater, higher power that could say, "No, I could actually heal and mend these things." Yeah. Which is, I, I think, what he, you know, he in this letter, Paul says, you know, get rid of those things. And then he says, be kind and compassionate to one another. And then he says, forgiving each other, uh, which all sounds really good. Uh, And then he says, which I think is the only power to even really live in community for any amount of time is, just as in Christ, God forgave you. Uh, I think that a root of, like, we were created actually to have anger. So this this is my emotion lesson. Uh, It's a biblical lesson. God has anger. Like, it's throughout Scripture. Uh, why Why does God angry? He's angry when things are not operating the way they should be. Not like a child playing with cars who gets angry because the cars aren't in the right spot. But as a, as a creator who ordered the world for thriving, for blessing, for beauty, right? And then what happens is people are distorting it. People that he created are being uh, put into captivity, are being oppressed, are being beat down, are being abused. And God is angry. He's also angry when people parade and pretend to be a voice for him, but are actually speaking lies. God is angry. God is angry at the fact that that the world is being corrupted by sin and death and evil. Anger is a good response. Like we see the world and it's breaking. We see even relationally. Someone treats somebody else the way that that isn't patient or kind or or humble, right? And there's provoke something within us of like, that's not right. Yeah? Does that make sense? And that's good. Like you are created for that. There's something broken within you when you see two people mistreat each other and you're like, ah, glad I'm not involved in that, right? Or if someone mistreats you and you're like, no, I'm okay, stone wall. It's like, no, there's something broken inside of you that that God needs to heal and redeem. But what I think Paul is talking about here is very vividly like whenever anger goes amok. Like, just like we were created to worship and our worship goes amok, just like we were created to uh, love one another, but then our love becomes the idolatry for each other, right? The, the misplaced loves, the misplaced affections. Our anger does the same thing, where we build ourselves up as the power, the controller, uh, that every offense is offense against me, every microaggression is a major aggression, right? And then we are just machines of wrath and machines of rage. Why? Because so much has been done to us. We sit there and we say, there's been so many sins against me. There's so much that I'm afraid of, too. Like anger and fear, if you do the little emotion, they're attached, right? That's the emotion wheel. 
we have a pillow that has the emotion wheel in our living room. It helps me. Uh, Mirella's got it down, but it helps me. People are like, that's for your kids. No, it's for me. Uh, anyway, anger is an offshoot of fear for us. That kind of rage, bitterness, anger gone amok, it's because it comes out of fear. Uh, we're, we're afraid of what's going to happen to us. We're afraid of all of the evil happening in the world. We're terrified, and so we respond by building our own kingdom, our own domain of security, and then we're angry against anybody who might pull that apart, right? America breaking, I'm angry, right? Paul says, the scriptures say, the fullness of scripture says, the path towards living and compassionate, kindness towards one another instead of anger and fighting is to know that Christ God forgave you. That's the beginning of all kindness, all compassion. That there is a source of forgiveness for you. Uh, that, that you don't have to create a way for yourself to be right and to be seen rightly. You don't have to create a security for yourself. You don't have to uh, overcome the effects of evil and death on your own. Uh, no political system has to do that. No government has to do that. No social media response has to do that for you. Christ has done that for you. That when, when Jesus entered this world because he loved it so much, when he died on the cross for the sins of this world, when he rose again, he created for you a path towards forgiveness and a path towards forgiving one another. Dietrich Bonhoeffer talks about forgiveness in community and confession in community is kind of this backbone practice. Why? Because it's only when we confess our sins to one another, like Jessica was saying, I'm angry with you because you did this. Uh, and I'm calling you to repentance too. We can only do that whenever we see ourselves at the feet of Jesus in need of his saving, in need of his forgiveness. Like that is the only way. That's the only way to be in community. We genuinely want this powerful, authentic, relational experience in our lives, right? The only way towards that is to understand we are all are in deep need of forgiveness and it's offered to us. That by his wounds, we are healed. By his wounds, we're saved. By his wounds, there's, this, there's a path towards unity with God and it's only then, it's only then that you can live a life that's not filled with bitterness and rage and anger. Because if it's not Christ who forgave us, then we have to muster up the strength to offer like fake forgiveness to one another. We have to do like, oh yeah, not bad. But deep down, like the, the well is building. Uh, the geyser, the eruption is coming. And it's gonna come someday, you know, it's uh, me and my friends in Portland, we used to joke, like when people would move away from Portland and they would get in their beat up car and drive away. We'd be like, that beat up car is going with them. And we would joke because it's like all the angst and anger and frustration that they have, that's traveling with them. That'll go with you. You can leave community. You can have a big dust up in your community. Be angry, be frustrated, be bitter, be truly hurt and sinned against. That will travel with you unless you know the power of the forgiveness of God for you and for them. Like, that is the high calling. And that's why I said it will require so much more than starting a building or a business, building an orphanage. Like, this is the highest kind of calling in your life. And it requires a transformation within you. Uh, 
one of my oddly favorite movies is Saving Private Ryan. I saw it when I was 12 years old, way too young. I don't know what my dad was thinking. The guy who took the ticket was like, are you sure? And he was like, yeah, America. Anyway, <laughs> Saving Private Ryan is, uh, it's a, it's, this is spoilers again, but it's an old movie. Anyway, uh, it's the story of Tom Hanks and a few other people who go to save this one son of this lady, the, the last living son. The rest of her sons died on D-Day, and there's this guy, Private Ryan slash Matt Damon, who's way out there, and they go to save him and rescue him. But as they go to save and rescue this Private Ryan, they all die, including Tom Hanks, who's married, who has this beautiful life ahead of him. And, and Tom Hanks, before he dies, though, he looks up at this Private Ryan guy, and he says, you better do something great with your life. And then he dies, right? And then the, the movie ends with the old Private Ryan, with his grandchildren and stuff, weeping at the tombs, uh, at the, the gravestones of all of these men that died so that he could live. And, and the, the purpose and the, the mentioning of that story, I think, is, uh, I think Spielberg was trying to say, a lot of people sacrificed for you, so you better measure up to the sacrifice, right? I think sometimes when we hear this, live worthy of the calling you've received, we think about the sacrifice of Jesus, right? Like, he gave it all. Therefore... I need to live worthy. I would argue that the movie is actually a pretty intense tragedy because this Matt Damon guy, uh, Private Ryan, had to live his whole life under the oppression of, I better live worthy of somebody else's sacrifice. I just want you to know, like, you're probably tired of trying to measure up and trying to live worthy. You might even think that the gospel is that kind of story, that I have to live worthy now of all of the sacrifice, like what Jesus did on Good Friday, like now I have to live up to it and measure up. And that's what Christian community is all about. And maybe you're, you're not that way. Maybe you're thinking I gotta live worthy of my parents' expectations of me or live worthy of your educational merits. You know, like you got this good degree. You know, we've all had professors maybe in our life that's like, you're gonna do good things. I poured into you, don't let me down. It's like, I had one professor who's like, we'd love for you to graduate. But that was different kind of educational merit. <laughs> he says, uh, maybe we wanna just live worthy of our careers. We have these jobs that are important, so we better like measure up or live worthy of our, our economic background. We've been given so much, we better not lose it, right? They're having fun. <laughs> The way of the gospel is not you have to measure up to the sacrifice. The way of the gospel is, uh, is not that you uh, have to you know, earn it all back and prove that you were worthy of the sacrifice. No, the way of the gospel is Jesus, through his death and resurrection, has made you now and forever worthy worthy of the throne of Jesus, worthy to sit up right next to it, underneath the hope and the power of Jesus. You get, you're worthy to be there, full stop, period. I think that's what, you know, Kendrick Lamar could have written a better uh, thing where it was like, just sit down and know, right? Don't sit down and be humble, but just sit down and know that you are worthy you are worthy of the presence and the adoration and the love of Jesus. You do not have to measure up. 
That's also the beginning of Christian community. You don't have to measure up to be here, to be in a community. You could really fail at loving one another, and you would still be worthy. You can really be bad at being a missionary and sent one and loving your neighbors. You're still worthy. What we believe is that Christ and the goodness of him creates within us a power uh, to actually love one another and love our neighbors. And it begins with that. Jesus gives us that belief, and so we now get to live worthy of the gospel, worthy of this calling, when we cling to the faith that he is our one hope, our one baptism, our one Lord. Amen? Let's pray. Jesus, you are so good to us uh, that you create community through your life and your death and your resurrection. God, I pray for us as a, as a church to know this, uh, to, be, uh, to be transformed. Oh, we're in such need of being transformed. Uh, yeah, we're not a special church that's nicer to each other. Uh, we're not a special church that doesn't have problems. Uh, we're in deep need of being transformed, being made to be kind and humble and compassionate. Help us press into your forgiveness Help us pray uh, and continue to pray against disunity, against disturbances. Heal us of rage and wrath. Uh, Lord, I pray that we might, through your power, be the kind of people, be a sign even in the city that uh, bitterness and rage is not the only way to exist in this world, exist in this moment. Uh, Thank you, Jesus, for uniting us with you, for giving us. Amen.